Well, good evening, everybody. Great to be with you. I want to welcome those who are worshiping online as part of our worship guide and welcome those of you who are gathered here physically with us tonight. It's really great to be with you. And uh, I think you can probably relate to this. I was just over there to, uh, after a full week and a busy Saturday to come in here on Saturday night. My soul needed to sing the truth we just sang together. Is that true for you? And I need that. My soul needs to be retuned to the truth and the greatness of who God is, especially in the season that we're living in as human beings. So it's a joy to be gathered here with you. Uh, it's a joy to open up God's word. So why don't you go ahead and do that. Find your place in the book of Jeremiah. In the Old Testament, we're walking through this book together. Really just trying to spend two weeks in this book. We're going to continue on in our Bible series next week will be in Ezekiel, but uh, this is kind of part two of a study through the book of Jeremiah. Um, we're going to walk through uh, his message tonight, and then we're going to conclude with the time of the Lord's Supper together, which really looking forward to that. We'll tell you more about that in just a few minutes. But just want to continue to ask this question that we were asking last week a little bit and let it kind of resonate in your heart and your mind. What does it look like? to be a faithful voice of truth. And I don't think we can underestimate how important that question is from the pages of scripture. And I don't think we can underestimate how important that question is in the season we find ourselves living in here in June, 2020. Our big truth from last week was this, that, that God calls his people, us, to be faithful voices of truth. That's you, and that's me, and that's in our home, and that's in the marketplace, and that's wherever God plants our lives, we are to be faithful voices of truth. Now, in the early 1800s, there was a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson just happens to be one of my heroes, and he was one of the first missionaries to leave the United States, cross an ocean, and plant his life in a part of the world where Jesus was hardly named at all. Early 1800s, Adoniram and his wife, Anne, desiring to make Jesus known, set sail. And they landed in India. They were there for a portion of time. And then they went on over to Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar. And they planted their lives there for 37 years of faithful ministry. And Adoniram Judson first arrived, he was told by the Buddhists that Burma would never be penetrated by the message of the gospel. You're wasting your time to come here and be a faithful voice of truth, he was told. 37 years, he was a faithful voice of truth, and it cost him greatly. Adoniram Judson devoted his time to learn the language, translate the Bible, faithfully proclaim the message, plant churches for 37 years. His first wife, Anne, died of an illness... His second wife died of a similar illness years later. While on the field in those 37 years, he had six children die of some type of disease while serving there. He spent 17 months in a rat-infested prison that almost cost him his life when he was considered to be a spy because he was a Westerner. And he did not see, listen to this. He did not see a new believer receive Jesus till almost seven years into his ministry. Seven years before he saw his first person come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a faithful voice of truth for 37 years. Listen to this. 
Today, there are close to 3,700 congregations in Myanmar who trace their history and origin back to the faithful voice of truth of Adoniram Judson. Wow. Faithful voice of truth. So as we come to the book of Jeremiah, as we talked about last week, the Bible gives us a picture of a faithful voice of truth. His name is Jeremiah. You remember from last week, Jeremiah was a young Hebrew boy who was called by God at a really young age. He was about 17 or 18, and God set him apart, said, Jeremiah, I have called you before you were ever even born. I formed you in the womb. I have appointed you, and I have set you apart to be a prophet, a mouthpiece to the nations. We see that from Jeremiah, that he was, a, he was an 11th hour prophet, meaning Jeremiah was the last voice of truth in Judah, the southern kingdom, before the rebellion reached its limits and God sent, if you will, the Babylonians in to wipe out Jerusalem and Judah and destroy the temple. In 586 BC, he was an 11th hour prophet. He was the lone voice of truth. Many times he felt like he was alone. That he was proclaiming a message of God's, of God's redemption and repentance and even the coming judgment. And nobody wanted to listen to what he had to say. And nobody else was preaching the truth in his generation. He was a weeping prophet. He, his heart broke about the message that he shared. His heart broke about the impending judgment. His heart broke about what God called him to do and the state of his people in Judah. His heart broke. We saw last week that even as we are to be faithful voices of truth, listen to this, never do it without a heart that breaks, a heart of compassion, a heart of deep compassion. As we are faithful voices of truth, he was the suffering prophet. Jeremiah was, he had constant threats of death. He was thrown into a pit, left for dead. He was placed in stocks. He was arrested. He was imprisoned. He faced starvation. He was put in chains and all these different things he faced. Over a 50-year period of faithful ministry, man, he was a faithful voice of truth for 50 years. So we saw last week that God gives us an example in the prophet Jeremiah. And even Jeremiah is a picture. We're to see in Jeremiah a picture of the greater prophet who is Jesus, who now lives in us as God's people and the big truth is the same. God calls us, just like he called Jeremiah, to be faithful voices of truth in our generation. Beginning in our homes, carrying over into the marketplace, in our jobs, wherever God plants us, are you a consistent, enduring, faithful voice of truth to the glory of God? It's a question for all of us. It's a question for our church. It's the continual question for our church. When many churches want to go a different route and pursue different means of trying to minister instead of the proclamation of truth that transforms hearts, the question for us, are we a faithful church of truth? It's always the question. It's a question for Jeremiah, and God gives us a great example here. So last week, we saw the man Jeremiah. We saw some characteristics of this faithful prophet, this faithful voice of truth. This week, I want us to look at the message of Jeremiah. And we're going to kind of be jumping around. Uh, a lot of the verses will be on the screen and just kind of follow along. What was the, if you could kind of boil it down, what were some of the, what was some of the content of the message of Jeremiah over this 50-year period of faithful ministry? 
And I tried to boil it down, and we're going to have to kind of shape him in three different things. He, we see that he, has a, he had a very high view of God. He had an honest diagnosis of man. He's very honest about the condition of mankind. And then thirdly, he had a hope that was found in the promises of God. And that's the way we're going to look at it. He had a high view of God. He had an honest diagnosis of man. And he had a hope. And that's to be the nature of our message that we're sharing. All right. So we're going to walk through some verses. You can go ahead and turn there in Jeremiah chapter 2. And I want to show you first. One of the things we see about his message was this. Jeremiah has a high view of God. As you walk through Jeremiah and you've been reading through Jeremiah. I hope there's been times that you've just stopped and meditated and worshipped. And stood in awe of the God of the book of Jeremiah. God has made known here a right, glorious, humbling, awe-inspiring view of our great God. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, said this, and I think we've quoted this before, but he said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. What is your view of God? Is your view of God a high view of God as he reveals himself in scripture or as is possible for every one of us? Is your view of God shaped by your own best understanding or even worse, the world in which we live in that has constricted our view of God to be one of the world? If we're going to be faithful voices of truth, we must have a high, glorious view of this God for whom we're sharing his message. Jeremiah had that. Listen to some of the things Jeremiah says from the book of Jeremiah. Again, you don't have time to look all these up. Just kind of follow along. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12, he saw God as the living God who was the creator of all. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 12, he says, it is he. Who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding, he has stretched out the heavens. Some of these verses are great verses for you to take and put on your bathroom mirror or put on your iPhone or somewhere where you can be regularly reminded. It is a good practice for the people of God to regularly rehearse the greatness of God. From the pages of scripture. He says he is the creator of all. Jeremiah holds nothing back. He declares God to be absolutely sovereign. Sovereign over his own life. He recognized before he was ever even born, God had chosen and set him apart and called him to this ministry. When he was called to speak to the surrounding nations. Remember, Jeremiah was a prophet not only to Judah, but to the nations. When he was called to go and, and preach to the nations, he says this, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 7. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Meaning, wherever I go on this planet, you are sovereign over that nation. You are the king of the nations. Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, I love this, there is none like you. And Jeremiah has a high view of God. When facing the impending Babylonian destruction, God said, look, I'm going to send the Babylonians. They're going to wipe out Jerusalem and Judah. They're going to destroy the temple. Je Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 27, 6. Now, speaking for God, he says, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. In other words, this impending doom, this most powerful man in the world, really at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, God says, oh, be reminded, 
He's ultimately my servant carrying out my purposes. Is that encouraging? Whatever it is that seems larger in life to us, God's absolute sovereignty rules over whatever that is. He is king. He is sovereign. Judah was facing absolute annihilation. And he realized, this is in the hand of God, who is not the author of evil, but he is absolutely sovereign over it. And we use it for his purposes. Regarding God's promise to restore Judah, that there was this promise that he was going to carry the, the people of Israel back into the land, and the people of Judah back into the land. They couldn't hardly get their mind around that. And Jeremiah declares in 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Mark this, nothing is too difficult for you. Isn't that good? If you could stretch out the heavens and hold the galaxies in place, nothing is too difficult for you. Good. Jeremiah saw God as all satisfying. Jeremiah 17, 13, he says this. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. And do you see God like that? As I got to be honest, one of the challenges throughout our week is there are plenty of fountains of living water that present themselves to be all satisfying. Jeremiah declares there is one all satisfying ultimate fountain of living and water to the soul, the Lord himself. Nothing less. He goes on quickly. I'll just give you a few more. Jeremiah 12, 1, he says, God is righteous and just. He says, God, you, righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. He sees God as absolutely righteous, absolutely just in everything he does. And in verse 25 of chapter 3, he says, Let us lie down in our shame and let our humiliation cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. Let's stop right there for just a minute. One of the balancing realities in the heart and life of the message of Jeremiah was this. Even though the people of Judah were treating one another cruelly, they were oppressing one another, there was injustice throughout the land. First and foremost, Jeremiah, by the mouth of the Lord, saw all sin as first and foremost against God. He had it in the right perspective. Was there massive oppression against one another? Yes. Was there massive injustice in the land? Yes. But Jeremiah saw all sin first and foremost against God. As David said, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. Ultimately, that's the right perspective on all sin. Is It's first against God. Continued on. It's, it's a couple more and we'll move on. He saw God as faithful to his promise and faithful to his people. Jeremiah 33, 11 says, give thanks to the Lord of hosts for he is good for his loving kindness. That's an incredible word in the Old Testament. The New American Standard translates it this way. The ESV uses the word uh, covenant love or something like that. But it's the point is God is faithful to his covenant promise to his people. He does not waver from his promise, this loving kindness. It is everlasting. Jeremiah 31.3, this is not on the screen. I read this this week. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now listen to this. This is true of all of God's people. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. 
Let's tell you something. In those moments where it seems God is distant and an infinity afar off, he declares to his covenant people, the people of God, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I will continue my faithfulness to you. Man, that's an anchor to hold on to. The faithfulness of God. It was one of these realities of Jeremiah's message that came out continually was he had a high, high view of his God. Man, is that true for us? And I pray a characteristic of our church as we walk in pursuing Christ and pursuing our God is that we have a high, right, Bible-saturated, spirit-empowered, gospel-driven view of God that is right. That the world can look to us and the church and us as these voices of truth and at least hear and see a truth about who God is and not some distorted view of who he is. And may that be true of our lives and our message. That was true of this faithful voice of truth, Jeremiah. In a high view of God. Secondly, and this one's not quite so fun. Along with his right high view of who God is, Jeremiah's message had an honest diagnosis of mankind. There was an honest diagnosis of humanity. Now, think about this for a second. I was just thinking this week. None of us like to go to the doctor. You could just stop right there. I don't really like to go to the doctor. None of us like to go to the doctor, though, and get a bad diagnosis, do we? Nobody. Nobody wants to hear something from a doctor that says, listen, Mike, man, whatever you have, it's not good. And you've got these series of treatments and it's going to be ugly. And nobody wants, watch, a bad diagnosis. Do you know what's worse than a bad diagnosis? A wrong diagnosis. A diagnosis that says, no, you are the perfect bill of health and everything is okay. And if we just put you in the right environment and we just put you around the right circumstances, Mike, you're going to be great when inside I'm dying. That's worse than a bad diagnosis. It's a wrong diagnosis. One of the things that Jeremiah declares about his culture and about his day, and you hear over and over in this book, are the other proclaimers of truth are declaring falsehoods. And here's what they're doing. They are healing the wounds of God's people. They are healing the wounds of their nation superficially. Because they are declaring a false, wrong diagnosis of the condition of the human heart. Man, Jeremiah gets, sla- gets flack for it. He gets thrown into a pit for it. He- he's not asked to come on the circuit and speak. Nobody wants him to write a book, you know, go on a book tour. But he is honest about his diagnosis from the mouth of God about the condition of mankind. Let me give you a couple examples. Jeremiah chapter 2. Beginning around verse 10, 11, something like that. Well, I'll actually just for time's sake jump down to verse 12. He, he says this. Be appalled, O heavens. In other words, Jeremiah's about to say something that's appalling. He's about to say something that we ought to shudder when we hear it. He says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. And shudder and be very desolate, declares the Lord. Verse 13, what is it, Jeremiah? God says, through Jeremiah, for my people have committed two evils. They have, number one, forsaken me. 
The God who has led them out, the God who has set them free, the God who has given them his law, the God who has guided them by his spirit, the God who has provided everything for them, they have forsaken me. And in the previous verses, God says, has anything ever been seen like this under the heavens? Has a nation ever exchanged its gods for false God? That's what Israel and Judah had done. It is an appalling thing. They have forsaken me. Keep going. The fountain of living waters, verse 13. And here's what they've done. Secondly, they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, wells, in those days, imagine a really dry climate, a desert climate. If you've ever been to this part of the world, it's desert. So they had to build these underwater cisterns to store water in the rainy season so they would have water in the dry season. And they had these huge cisterns. He says, here's what they've done. They've built these cisterns for themselves and they put their hope in that water. Problem is their cisterns are cracked and they can hold no water. Point is... They've put their help, their hope in something to satisfy them that cannot satisfy them. And it was a picture of their idolatry. It says it's a picture of the natural state, the way we were all born, you and I, a diagnosis of our tendencies because of our broken heart is we tend to run after God's substitutes and trust the promises and empty promises. Let's just use the word of idols. We all have that challenge. We all tend to do that in our natural condition. He says, my people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And then they've tried to create these cisterns to hold water, which can't even hold any water. In other words, never fulfills the promise. Never able to satisfy their soul. And man, we hear that as a condition of the human heart. We tend, we are, as John Calvin said, idol factories. We run after these idols that claim and make promises that can never satisfy the soul. Let's try to get a little more specific with you. Tim Keller helps me with this. He, he gives four different examples of the idols in our life or the potential God substitutes in our life. Maybe you can re relate to some of these. He, he says one of the main idols is we have the idol of approval. We seek the approval of others because in our heart we fear rejection from other people more than anything else. And we idolize the approval of men and women to the point where we were walking cowardice. Says another idol is the idol of comfort. Man, we, we want our comforts and we want our pleasures <clears throat> we fear suffering. We fear this denial of pleasure. We fear everything is not peaceful and at rest. We fear that. We have a third idol. We have the idol of power. We want this power. So we, we fear insignificance. So, so we chase this idol of power. And then fourthly, and see if anybody can relate to this in the age of COVID. Ready? The idol of control. We are scared to death of uncertainty. We're fearful of uncertainty, so we grasp anything that gives us a false sense of control. And the Bible is saying anything we do that is less than God and his promises and his spirit is like trying to get water out of a broken well that can hold no water. It will never satisfy the longing of the human soul. And Jeremiah says, look, you need to be honest about the condition of the human soul. We run after idols. That's the case. In our natural condition, we run after idols. He gives a further diagnosis, Jeremiah 7, 23. He says, but this is what I commanded them, God speaking. He says, obey my voice. 
and I will be your God and you will be my people and you will walk in the way in which I command you. End of verse 23, that it may be well with you. Verse 24, yet they did not obey their voice or incline their ear. But listen to this. It is so descriptive of the human heart. And by the way, if you're tempted to go, well, that was the, that was the people of Judah. That was the people of Israel. I would never behave like that. You do understand the people of Israel and the people of Judah are descriptive of all humanity. Their sinful tendencies are just like yours and mine. Is that the only difference is God lavished favor on them. And the wickedness of their own heart was highlighted and seen so clearly because of all that God did. It says that it may be well with you, verse 24, yet they did not obey their voice. They did not incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels. But they knew what was best. The stubbornness of their own evil heart. And be careful, because when you hear that, here's what we tend to do. Well, you know, I know somebody like that. <laughs> I, I can tell you who's exactly like that. I can too, me and you. Self-willed, self-determined, I will, I will, I will. And the Bible said, and they went backward and not forward, the condition of the human heart. One of the realities of the preaching and the message of Jeremiah that must be characteristic of a faithful voice today is an honest diagnosis of the human condition. Keep going. Give you a couple more. And you say, that's about enough, Mike. I'm not done with it. Chapter 17. In fact, you can turn there if you want. It might be good just to find your place there. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, 1. He says, the sin of Judah is written with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. Man. This is not just external actions and attitudes. It's all the way in the heart, the very core of who they are. Same for us. And he's going to chase a line of thought. Now, I want you to follow this line of thought within the beginning in verse 5. So there's two different paths, if you will. This is verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Cursed is the man who makes flesh, our own strength, the flesh of other humans, whatever it is that we trust in that's less than God. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse 6, here's the outcome. He's like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in the stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitants. It's intended to be a vivid picture, again, especially in the desert culture. They all understood it. you got this bush. It's planted out in the middle of the desert. It doesn't have any water source. And over time, it's going to dry up. It's this, it's this bush that just doesn't understand or have prosperity. It's cursed. It's barren. It says that's one path. It comes back, verse 7. What's this? It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, his confidence in whom he depends, in whom he runs to, in whom he finds, as we sang earlier, the stronghold, a mighty fortress. Man, when things are not going my way, when things are not, I don't understand, who do we run to? 
It says, blessed is the man who runs to the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. Why? Verse 8. For he will be like a tree. See the analogy. Planted by water that extends its roots by a stream. You say, this sounds like Psalm 1. It sure does. And he extends its roots by a stream. He will not fear when the heat comes. In other words, when things are turning and the seasons are changing and the heat is coming, they do not fear. What's this. Because they are deeply rooted in that which satisfies this tree into the, the very source of water. It says our souls are to be like that deeply rooted in the source of life that is the living God. And will not be anxious in a year of drought. They will not cease to yield their fruit. So here's this picture of a barren tree. Does not yield fruit. Dry, crusty. You get the picture. On the other side is this tree of life. Where fruit is just abundant. And it doesn't fear. And it's strong no matter what comes its way. And the, the line of argument is this. Now watch. You got to get this. Why in the world would mankind not simply see and say, yes, that's the path of my life. I'm going to trust the Lord. That's where my strength is. That's who I will depend on. That's who I will run to. That's where fruitfulness is. Why would that not happen? That makes sense, right? That's logical. Do I want fruitfulness? Do I want fear? Do I want stability? What do I want? Why is that not the path of every human being in our natural state? Ready? Verse 9. He answers it. He says the reason is, now watch this. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can even understand it? Now stop right there. He said, I've heard that verse before. Well, let's spend a few minutes here. Let's meditate on this thing and try to dig the truth that's out here. He says, why would man make the choices and go the routes and choose the things he does? Why would he go after idols that can't satisfy? Why would he pursue things that make no sense? Why would he choose barrenness instead of fruitfulness? Answer verse 9. The heart is wicked and desperately sick. In other words, here, here, let's break this down. He says, the heart... Heart's a metaphor for your mind, your will, your emotions, your affections, not just your feelings. Don't think, oh, I just feel a certain way. It's, it's our inner person, the choices we make, the will that we have, our affections of our heart. The heart is deceitful. Here's the word. Because of sin, because of our indwelling sin, we're born into sin. Our mind, our affections, our will are twisted and distorted and demented. That's the word here, deceitful. They're crooked. In other words, we can't see straight. We're deceived. We lie to ourselves. That's the nature of sin. And it's not just external. It's not just the things we do. We do the things we do because at our core we are deceived and we choose deception and we go after lies. He says the heart, our natural condition is so twisted. We live in a state of deception that ultimately trusts and worships and depends on self. Or humanity in the place of the all satisfying and glorious fountains of living water. This is the root. Jeremiah 79, this is the root 
of every unrighteous, unjust, sinful act and attitude that naturally flows out of our twisted core of who we are. We're born naturally that way. It's the condition of humanity. He said, Pastor Mike, that's just awful. A wrong diagnosis is worse than a bad diagnosis. And he says, the heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all else. It is desperately sick. That word means it is medically incurable. It is terminal. The deception of our own heart that goes after idols, that turns away from the living God, that tends to trust ourselves, that goes down a path that leads to barrenness. We go that way naturally. And the, and the Bible says, listen, and there's no cure you'll find on your own. There's no cure for it you'll find on your own. No class, no clinic, no treatment. There's no cure. It's desperately sick. Now, pause right there for just a second. I'm gonna deep breath. Oh, it's heavy stuff, okay? Here's a very important question that we need to ask. What happens when we follow the wrong diagnosis of the human heart? What happens? On Jeremiah's day, again, we saw what happened. The people were healed superficially. There was no true healing. The diagnosis of the human heart was something like this. No, there's peace. Sounds something like this. If you just give mankind a chance, he's ultimately good. Just don't put restrictions and try to get mankind in the right culture, in the right society, and all these external pressures on him. They're just misunderstood. If mankind, I, we, we just have the right opportunities, then the goodness of man will prevail. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Let me tell you how this plays out really quick. I'm going to give you a few examples, and then we're going to wrap it up. Have you guys been following the news about what's going on in Seattle? So in Seattle, you may not know this. If you don't, I'll just tell you really quick. There's a group of people who have taken over an entire city block, and they've determined and declared it to be its own nation, if you will. And they call it, or they used to call it. They may have changed it now. It doesn't matter. They called it CHAZ, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And they said, look, we're going to be our own people. We're going to build a wall. We're going to keep all the good people in here, keep all the bad people out. He said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. It is kind of silly. We know that kind of thing's never going to work. It's ultimate rebellion, et cetera, et cetera. But here, here's the underlying heart behind something like that. It is when society says, if we can just build the right culture and the right societal systems and everything is the way we think it ought to be, then mankind and his good nature will just flourish. And we say, you are healing the wounds of people superficially. The heart is deceptive. We do that as the church. The, the, the church, if we're not very careful, and so many churches are sliding into this, and Lord, keep us from this, that we'll replace our mission of declaring the heart-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the only cure to transform a heart, the atonement bought by Jesus and Jesus only, we will replace the proclamation of the gospel with merely a political agenda or societal improvement, and we'll just try to fix society. And that's called the social gospel, and it doesn't work. And many churches are falling into that trap, especially in our culture today. Do we want to fix what's wrong in society? We'd love to fix it, but we know society is as it is because the heart of mankind is desperately sick. Don't heal the wounds superficially. 
the truth and the message of the gospel. And can I give you another illustration? You know how else we do this? If you have this wrong diagnosis of the human heart, you know what you do? You'll parent differently. Here, here it is. Watch this. Ready? This is kind of funny, but this is true. You'll parent differently because here's what you'll fall into. I gotta, I gotta, I can't restrict little Johnny. I can't correct little Johnny. If your kid's named Johnny, don't take it personally. I'm just using the name, all right? I can't correct little Johnny. I can't restrict him in any way. I just gotta let little Johnny be free. Don't ever discipline little Johnny because you'll wound his psyche. Bible says the heart of little Johnny when he came into the world was desperately sick. You're not gonna wound his psyche. In fact, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. What that means is, good old boy in East Tennessee says, a good swift spanking might help every now and then. Amen? A wrong diagnosis of the human heart is worse than a bad diagnosis. The message of Jeremiah had a high view of God the message of Jeremiah had an honest diagnosis of man. I'm going to give you two big ideas. Here's your first one. Big idea number one is this. Faithful voices of truth have a high view of God and an honest diagnosis of man. Amen? Third characteristic of the message of Jeremiah, and we're going to wrap up and celebrate the Lord's Supper together, is this. Jeremiah held out the hope. The hope that was found in the promises of God. Jeremiah quickly, Jeremiah 23, verse 5, he says this, Behold, days are coming. As you're reading through Jeremiah and you come to that phrase, maybe you ought to just shout, Days are coming. Hope is coming. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I, God says, will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. What does that mean? I'm going to keep my promise to David that I made back in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that from you, David, one day there's going to come a king. And he's not going to be like all the other kings that have preceded him. He's going to reign righteously and justice, justly. He's going to establish his throne. And he is the promised and anointed, waited for king and Messiah. Who is that fulfilled in nothing less than Jesus himself. Hope is coming. The message of Jeremiah is saturated with this hope. Look at, if you want to turn there quickly, and we'll wrap up with this. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this. Behold, days are coming. There it is again, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The backdrop of all the rebellion and all their deception and all their broken heart. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What does that mean? It's not like the covenant I made with Moses. It's not written on external tablets of stone, which you were never able to keep and never able to obey because it was external. Your problem was internal. Your heart was deceptive and wicked. He says, I'm making a new covenant with my people. Although I was a husband to them, I brought them out of Egypt. They were unable to keep my covenant, verse 33. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel and us as Gentiles grafted in. Because there's the Lord. Watch this. I will put my law within them. 
Because where's our problem? Out here, our habits, our actions? No, it is the heart. And he says, I'm going to write my law within their heart. And on their heart, I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Days are coming of transformation. Days are coming when it's a new covenant by which the heart will be transformed and the heart will be changed. And it's a message of hope that Jeremiah gives with the backdrop of hopelessness. The heart's desperate. It's sick. It's sick. What's the hope? Transformation. The hope of transformation. The message of Jeremiah is the only hope for the deceptive, deceitful, rebellious human heart is absolute transformation. A new heart. Now, I want, us to, I want us to walk through the implications of this very quickly. I want to ask the team just to come on up and begin to, to play. We're, we're going to move into the time of the Lord's Supper and try to wrestle with how we respond to this. Jesus translates this for us when he says in John chapter 3, you must be born again. It's internal. It's a transformation. Titus chapter 3 says, For we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts. But when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Internal transformation is the hope. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, Paul says, Romans 8, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh so that the requirement of the law, which we could never keep, watch this, is now fulfilled in us as believers by the spirit of God who lives in us. We have new life in the spirit of God. We are part of a new covenant and we are transformed. Peter says we have the very, we are partakers by faith, by faith, of the very divine nature of God. Say, so Pastor Mike, is it still true that my old heart is deceptive and wicked and chases after idols? It sure does. That's not going to change till Jesus returns and gives us a whole new glorious body. But now there's something new that we didn't have before. The very spirit of Jesus in our very heart. In our very life. We have been made and we're going to be faithful voices of truth. Faithful voices of truth. Watch this. We have a high view of God. We have an honest diagnosis of the state of mankind. And the second big idea is this. Faithful voices of truth. Make known. Make known. The provision and promises of God. You're broken. But there's hope. And his name is Jesus. Nothing less, nothing else. He changes from the inside out. Amen. Amen. Pray for us. And we're going to enter into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So if you will, just bow your head there for a second. Father, I pray you take these truths and I pray you'll sink these truths into our heart, Lord. And we would be faithful voices of truth. For your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' great name we pray together. Amen.